this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to the Snyder Cut. I am Jeff Snyder, Collider's senior film reporter, uh, basking in in just the, the glow, the warmth, the beauty of Sherman Oaks this week, thanks to one of our loyal listeners. Um, where do we start this week? Well, breaking news, Britney Spears' father, Jamie Spears, just stepped down from his conservatorship. Uh, listen, I have not been keeping up on, on the Britney drama. Okay, here, let me, let me even that out there. I haven't been keeping up on the Britney drama. Um, I think it's sad what's happened to this girl. Obviously. Uh, she just is not in control of her own life. The question is whether she really could sort of shoulder that responsibility. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they have her drugged up or what. I also think that you know it's totally possible that she's contending with a very real mental illness and, and maybe should not be in in control so it's all very complicated i don't know britney spears you know we're not personal friends um i mean that was a long time ago not personal friends anymore uh, it just sounds like th- this case is just crazy i mean people have really you know i didn't watch the documentary but a lot of people did and, and i feel like th- this has become like their new sort of cause celeb uh and uh uh, what were their death threats made against the judge? I, it's it's all a little too much. People need to maybe not take this stuff um, so seriously because it's like there's nothing that they're going to be able to do for Britney Spears. I hope that that she finds happiness. I hope that she gets well uh, or at least is you know put under a sort of conservatorship that is run by like a decent person who like cares about her well-being. I, I'm not sure that necessarily is her father or not. Uh, again, I'm not privy to the whole family dynamics, but it's it's a wild one. Uh, why, why do we start on that? I, I don't really know. Maybe, I, I don't know. Um, in movie land, <laughs> Warner Brothers has agreed to a 45-day window with AMC theaters uh, next year. Obviously, this year they're sticking to the, the day and date plan, which I, I just don't understand. It's clearly, uh, I, it's just like... <laughs> I mean, if you if you have a movie coming out December 31st and a movie coming out January 1st, they're going to have two completely different models just because there's a different, like the year changes. It just makes no fucking sense. Um, I, I really cannot believe that Warner Brothers is, and, and Jason Kyle are being so stubborn uh, about, about the day and date thing, which I just, I think it just clearly, I mean, listen, the box office would never recover to the fullest extent but i don't think if they're making it up making up for it in in subscriptions i mean i i just don't see how the, the math works and it maybe works you know on a movie like cry macho um or even mortal Kombat, but for like these huge huge movies whether it's godzilla versus kong or dune or you know i just like i don't for the suicide spell like, i don't see how the math works at all you're gonna have to explain that to me um you know, Disney is still moving forward with like some theatrical only stuff and, and they have uh, 45 day windows as well. Uh, that includes like Free Guy and, and Shang-Chi. Um, I think Free Guy, because it was an acquisition from the Fox days, they were contractually obligated to like release it exclusively just in, in theaters. Uh, and with Shang-Chi, um, I think that would just look bad putting another movie, you know, with a diverse inclusive cast behind a paywall um and like just you know thereby like i mean it's a it's a mcu movie like they held black widow or i know black widow went day and date as well but like i don't think shang chi would perform quite as well as black widow which i don't think performed as as well as they they necessarily wanted so but you you so you can't just put that out i don't know you you can't just put that out in theaters and let it fail because the perception I mean, there's a lot riding on this movie. It's it's the first big Asian superhero, you know, Asian-led superhero movie. Um, so maybe in some ways, a day and date release protects it a bit, you know? Um, 
and I, I don't blame studios if that is part of the motivation because the truth is like the box office hasn't recovered yet. I don't think we can judge things by by the way that, the, that we used to. So, I mean, but, but we can still judge them, right? We can still judge them. And the 26.5 million opening for Suicide Squad has to be seen as a disappointment no matter how you slice it. I think that there are obviously a lot of factors with, you know, Delta, you know, picking up steam and, you know, obviously the simultaneously simultaneous uh, HBO Max release. I think people are burned out on Harley Quinn. I mean, I, I don't love Harley Quinn. Um, she was fun that first year in Suicide Squad and then all the girls in, in West Hollywood got dressed up as Harley Quinn for Halloween. But like, I don't know, Birds of Prey was super annoying and I didn't think that Margot uh, or, or Harley were really were a strength of this new movie. You know, I, I thought it was Idris Elba and John Cena and I thought the movie was good. Margot was fine, the, the, like less was more there. She was wisely dis- deployed. Um, but yeah, t- I feel like Warner Brothers had to be hoping for a $30 million opening or more. 26.5, they really may have struggled to wash the bad taste out of everyone's mouth on, on Suicide Squad and, and frankly, Birds of Prey. I mean, Birds of Prey was terrible. I, I don't know who's defending that movie uh, outside of the whole, you know, girl power themes and stuff like. So yeah, man, it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens with, with Dune coming up. I just, and how do you press forward with a sequel? Like under what? metrics the whole the you know when there's no metrics of success like how do you measure it i don't know it's weird uh disney uh, had its earnings call today or whatever they announced 116 million subscribers so it sounds like they doubled their subscribers over the past year um i mean i think it's a good place for disney to be at right now i think that you know they're they are doing a lot there's a lot of star wars shows there's a lot of marvel shows i think it's frankly too much i think that um and like, listen, people are going to watch this stuff if it's, if it's free on their streaming service. Like, I get that. But I, I also wonder if it dulls the impact of a new Marvel movie release, right? Because people are just like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, keep watching Disney shows for the next five weeks. And then I'll catch up with that Marvel movie when it comes to Disney+. Plus. Like, I don't know. They, they sort of take the eventizing of it all out of it. Um, let me know if you're watching uh, Turner and Hooch. I haven't started watching that i don't know if it's any good i can't imagine it's any good i was a big fan of, of the original movie with tom hanks and i do like josh peck but uh like i i get the vibe that that's like what i feared the mighty duck series would be and i love the mighty duck series so i'd love to be wrong I, I hope that's another mighty duck series if it is let me know and i'll, and I'll start watching it. um idris elba cast as knuckles in sonic the hedgehog 2 uh, you know, there'd been a lot of rumors about Jason Momoa. That's certainly what we'd been hearing. Uh, apparently, you know, either they weren't able to come to a deal or, or, you know, they were just like, we'll wait until the movie's sort of been shot to add the voice and figure out who it should be based on, you know, what we see. And maybe it just was just a better fit than, than Jason Momoa. I don't know. Um, but obviously, as you heard me last week say, I think Idris Elba was great in Suicide Squad. And I think that he is... He's different. Like Jason Momoa is kind of like the obvious, like him, Chris Hemsworth. There's only so many like bad, bad bruiser type of guys or whatever. Just like huge dudes, Cena, I guess, and Batista are, are two more of them. Like they could, they, I could see them being the easy fit as Knuckles and Sonic too. But Idris, um, he's just a great actor. And who, who I mean, the guy's built. Like yeah, he happens to have a great physique, but he's not a like, huge like like those other guys really. Um, but I, I suspect that they wanted a little like British counter because I, I don't think he's going to be doing his American accent here. Maybe he is, but I, I would kind of expect him to be doing his British accent uh, here. Uh, that actually be interesting if someone could confirm that uh, um, and, and, and see what kind of accent Knuckles would have. But yeah, I could just see like the, the tough guy, British gangster. That could be a, a good contrast with, with uh, Sonic and whatnot. Uh, the Adams Family, Wednesday, the, the, the Tim Burton Netflix series that's going to start Jenna Ortega, they found their Morticia and their Gomez. It was kind of um, interesting how this all went down. I've been tracking Morticia for quite a while um, and sitting tight and being, being a good boy. And, uh, you know, I could tell that, I mean, that deal wasn't entirely done last week. Um, and so, you know, I was asking around about Morticia and, and was basically said, you know, told like, listen, sit tight on Morticia. And if you do like, 
here's Gomez. Um, so yeah, we broke that story that Luis Guzman is going to play Gomez, and he's an interesting choice. I I, I did not really see that coming, you know, like because he's like a, a a a big guy, um, a little guy, but a big guy, you know. Um, just not the stereotypical Gomez, I don't think, but I kind of love it. I mean, I, I've always loved Luis Guzman. I think he's a fantastic character actor. He's definitely got that little stash. He's got, so there's something, I can see why there's something a little sexy about Luis Guzman. Because I think that Gomez has to be kind of sexy. He's a passionate, he's a man of passion. Sorry, I, I do have pants on, I'm just wearing shorts. Uh, and meanwhile, Catherine Zeta-Jones is going to play Morticia. And that, I also think is kind of a great choice. Like, yeah, I think that there was a report last week that it was Eva Green. Um, I think it, you know, that site was working with some old info, which is, you know, we're going to talk about that kind of stuff in, in a second, but like, you know, it's, it's why you check certain things rather than just going off agency grids, uh, which certain sites who shall go unnamed certainly do all the time. Um, so like, can I see Catherine Zeta-Jones and Luis Guzman as a couple? Not really, but that's kind of the beauty of, of Gomez and Morticia, right? Like, they're an odd couple. They, you, don't, you wouldn't expect them to necessarily be together, and yet they're perfect for each other. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, again, Gomez and Morticia are not major characters on the show because Wednesday is off at boarding school. She's off at Nevermore Academy, wherever the fuck it is. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're going to get phone calls, maybe the occasional visit home or visit to the college, whatever it is. But, I, you know, if, there, if there's 10 episodes in the show, maybe it's eight episodes. I don't even know what it is. Let's say it's 10. I bet they're in like three or four episodes. I don't, I don't think they're in every episode, that's for sure. Um, Emily Blunt retained with Dwayne Johnson, at the producer Dwayne Johnson, on a female detective movie. Uh, but like the, the female uh, Pinkerton detective agency. Um, now this... I like, I like this family blunt. I like this, you know, I mean, not that Jungle Cruise was like a terrible idea in theory. I think just in execution, it was a problem. Um, because I could see how like on paper, Emily Blunt, Dwayne Johnson, sort of a romancing the stone Disney adventure vibe, like on, on the water, like that could be fun, but it just, it wasn't. Um, this is more in line with what I see her capable of in terms of like big movies. This could be, yeah, like the female Sherlock Holmes. And it's all going to be about the tone and, and whether, you know, this movie can sort of stand on its own without sort of imitating what Robert Downey Jr. was doing with um, uh, Sherlock Holmes. But like, you know, I, I think she's sort of like looking at his playbook right now or even like Johnny Depp's playbook. Like it's not the white guy's time to shine anymore. And like, imagine if Emily, Bl if like that was what Emily Blunt is sort of up to is like taking these parts that like, you know, a big male movie star might've taken years ago. Uh, whether it's, you know, a Pirates of the Caribbean type of thing, like the Jungle Cruise or a Sherlock Holmes type thing with this female detective uh, Pinkerton thing. Um, but I like it. I mean, did Dwayne Johnson need to be producing this movie? No, not, uh, not the sort of thing. Like if I was Emily Blunt, I think you could probably find stronger producers, but at least like with them on board, you know, it's probably going to get made which is like half the battle these days. It's not just about picking the best producer, it's about picking the producer with the most heat or the most clout in order to like push something through if they want. Because yeah, getting, getting it made is, is half the battle, getting that green light, getting that money. Um, now here's the thing. I wanted to, to sort of follow that story with this story because I, I do see like a connection of sorts. Um, so Jennifer Lawrence is part of this package. She's circling the package and talks to the package likely, you know, just frankly attached, um, to play Sue Mengers in a biopic. Now, this project is just like super inside baseball. This is for like the agents who are like 40 years old and, and up in town and the executives who remember Sue, uh, Sue Mengers, who like had an incredible client list, represented all like the young starlets of the late 60s and 70s. And then, uh, you know, by like the late 70s, 80s, like, you know, the, the business was changing and, and Sue Mengers was sort of, uh, left behind a little bit. Now, I think Jennifer Lawrence could do great, a great job here. Um, you know, it, it sort of gives me like American hustle type of vibes. Like Sue Mangers was, was a tough, a tough broad, tough woman. Um, and I could just, you know, it, it'd be fun to see all like the different celebrity cameos. That's like half the fun of all these sort of period movies. It was half the fun of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, seeing everybody show up as all these different people, right? But like, I don't know, this just seems so navel-gazy. 
agents are not that interesting. I mean, every now and then you get like, you know, Ari Gold on Entourage. You capture lighting in a bottle there, but like, I don't know. This just seems like what I what I was getting at before is that Jennifer Lawrence should be going after those kind of female the Pinkerton detective movies. Like, why can't we see the fun Jennifer Lawrence version of Enola Holmes or whatever it is? Like, I just, you know, and maybe that's to her credit. Like, I don't think that Jennifer Lawrence used her Hunger Games weight to like sell out. Like, I'm sure she could do all these fucking dumb action movies and stuff like that. And, and maybe this female Pinkerton detective thing will, will be dumb. You know, um, but I don't know. I'd like to see Jennifer Lawrence do something a little bit more commercial than like, you know, the A24 movie that she has or even like Don't Look Up, you know, from Adam McKay. Um, so while I'm intrigued by this Sue Mengers thing and, and working with like Paolo Sorrentino, that could be really interesting. Right now it's it's like, let's talk about like just the financials of it all like netflix and apple are being pitted against each other which like they have to know by now right uh that they're just being used to like drive the, the price up on each other this, this movie's budgeted at 80 million dollars why does it cost so much get some indie producers make this movie for 20 million and another 20 to jen lawrence to, to star and produce and then it's half the budget like why is this so much money what is so expensive about Sumanger's life? You get a mansion and, and you get some 70s, uh, you know, hair pieces and like some period cars and that's it. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't know why this movie has to cost $80 million. It's, it's crazy. Um, but of course, you know, price tags don't matter anymore because, you know, executives don't have to go to the board and say, oh, well, you know, look at how much money the movie made or didn't make. And, and like, does that, the budget, that does that figure justify the budget, et cetera. It's just, you know, we got more subscribers or we got X amount of views on it. Like, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy, crazy days. Uh, crazy days in, in which like HBO pulling the bait and switch again. Not that I mind here necessarily, but like the White Lotus renewed for season two. Now it's pitched as a, a limited series. And in many ways it is a limited series. Like these characters won't be back. This story is over, but they're going to use the brand that they've created, the White Lotus. It has, now has recognition uh, in the pop culture sphere. Um, and they're going to basically bring it back for season two at another White Lotus locale, another location. I doubt it will be another tropical location. It'll probably be something completely different, like a ski resort or something. Uh, that's what I would do if I were them or just like a New York hotel, maybe and a whole new cast of characters uh listen as long as it has you know mike white's voice behind it i think that that and the cast like the cast was great the cast is what made it special but you know maybe they they even get a, a, an even better caliber cast now because they've seen what this show could be in season one so i i, I am okay with this at the end of the day i do this is not like big little lies because it's not bringing back the same cast to tell you know, which, where they were saying, this is going to be a limited series, Big Little Lies. And then it's like, no, 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 it's successful. We got to have season two. We got to bring in Meryl Streep. That's not what this is. And I think it'll be better off for it. Uh, Mayim Bialik, right? Uh, Blossom is going to be co-hosting Jeopardy in a sense. I, I guess they just didn't want to announce Mike Richards solo because of, you know, the bad press that he ended up getting uh, from, from past incidents. So they named her a co-host in the sense of like specials primetime specials, the college tournament, that kind of shit. Um, you know, I'm not really watching Jeopardy these days anyways, and I haven't seen enough of the original Alex Trebek run, and I've seen hundreds of shows, obviously, but there are zillions and zillions. I could just watch those reruns all the time. In fact, that's a good way to, like, impress a date is, uh, you know, you throw on Jeopardy, and it's like a rerun or something, <laughs> and you just, you, you've memorized the answers. You look like the smartest guy in the world. Um, Margot Robbie joining Wes Anderson's new movie. I love this for her. I, I really, you know, she, she has sort of interspersed the DC universe, Harley Quinn appearances with like working with really top-notch directors. Uh, I mean, like even Greta Gerwig is directing her Barbie movie. So I, I do love her, the idea of her working with Wes Anderson. I think she'll be a really interesting fit in that world. I like that she's doing it at this, you know, with, with fellow newcomer, Tom Hanks. And, you know, the rest of uh, his regulars, whether it's Adrian Brody, Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton, we're going to shoot that one off in Spain. We have no idea what the plot is. Um, I kind of miss Wes Anderson working with younger people, like in Rushmore and Moonrise Kingdom. 
but maybe there will be maybe maybe that those pieces will fall into place eventually. Gina Carano, yes, back from the dead. Uh, the Mandalorian star going to start in White Knuckle from Eric Red. This is a movie. You know, I, I, she had inked some sort of development deal or said she would be working with uh, like Ben Shapiro or whatever and, and the Daily Wire, right? Uh, and, and producer Dallas Sanye. There's no director attached to this movie yet. Um, Eric Red is the writer of The Hitcher. And this is like a revenge type of story. I think it's about a, a woman who, you know, is narrowly escaped a serial killer, like a trucker on the, on the open roads. Um, and so she hires like another trucker to like track this guy down. Um, so I actually really like that premise. I really like the title. I might even read this book from Eric Red. Uh, you know, the Daily Wire certainly don't condone all of their political views and things like that. Um, but Run, Hide, Fight is one of the top 10 movies I've seen all year. I, I really did. I thought that movie had fucking balls. And I bet you this movie is going to have some fucking balls on it. Um, so I may have to hit up Dallas for, you know, a private link just because I don't really want to give Daily Wire my money. Um, and it is, it is kind of a shame that, that these movies may only be available there. I don't know if Run, Hide, Fight ended up available on, on VOD or whatever, but like maybe they just have some kind of exclusive window on it. But like, I listen, Gina Carano says some disgusting shit and, and I don't think she's a very good actress, but I do like this premise. So, you know, good, good for her, best of luck to her. Whether I end up seeing it, I guess it'll depend on a trailer. I don't know. Um, the so so the the weirdest thing about all this is that I went down the, the rabbit hole on Eric Red, who apparently in two thousand basically claimed that he fainted behind the wheel, that he has a a, a medical condition, um, and he plowed his car into like a bar and killed two people. I did not know this. And, and if I did, I must have forgotten it. Like, I'm, but it, like, I went down the rabbit hole on that whole case. It was wild. Like, if you're looking for an interesting read, read up on on Eric Red, um, and, and just like you know everything that happened to him um, in 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 2000, and uh, just a, a terribly tragic story. It also, it sent me down another rabbit hole reading about Dylan Sellers, who's like a big producer now. Back in the day, he was a, a Fox executive in the mid 90s, and he was like driving home after like a you know a party following like the premiere of strange days with another fox executive got into a car accident he, he read he ran through a, a red or sorry a stop sign and like killed his his friend um and did like three months in prison like i did not know that about dylan sellers that, that like these, these stories are kind of wild um so yeah i mean you know there's a, there's one other story that i want to recommend i mean those are both you know fascinating um, but, you know, if you really want like the, the, the read of the week, right, it is the Atlantic story about 9-11. Um, I think the kid's name is Bobby, blanking on the last name, Bobby McElvain. Uh, and this story had me crying my eyes out, absolutely crying my eyes out for like an hour. I mean, it, it took a while to read. It just took a lot out of me. We're obviously approaching the, the anniversary of 9-11, of the, the 20th anniversary. It's a big one. Um, and I don't know how this story had never been told before, but it was just so incredibly moving. I, I wonder if, if Hollywood ends up picking that up at some point and doing some kind of adaptation. So it was very, very powerful. I forget who the, um, it's Jen, Jen Senior, I want to say. Jennifer Senior is the writer on that at The Atlantic. It was absolutely fantastic. Please do check it out. Uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II joining By All, which is a new Warner Brothers, like, uh, thriller about community justice it's it's takes place in a world where like there's no police and so communities have to police themselves and uh justice is crowdsourced uh it, it, yeah it sounds really interesting i think um stephen cable jr is going to be directing that and you know thr did a big piece on on yaya who's in Candyman um at the end of the month Candyman getting again like i said last week and you know maybe, maybe you didn't maybe you don't listen to every episode maybe you're just tuning in uh Candyman having just horrific buzz horrific i'm sorry i don't want to be that guy but like i'm i'm an honest guy i was rooting for the movie i really want to see the movie i'm going to see it for myself and make up my own mind but it's my job as a reporter to tell you that the word on this movie is horrible um 
So THR did this big piece on, on Yaya and uh, it basically said that he's one of like five, you know, new young actors on the scene who are, who are part of Hollywood's new A-list. And, and it's hard to argue with some of their choices. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, I think is probably spot on, you know, working with Edgar Wright being cast as Furiosa, like, you know, everybody wants to work with Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, and it's so interesting, like, because I remember watching her in The Witch and just like not knowing what to make of her. I mean, I thought she was like, had a very unique look. Um, but I, I never really could have foreseen, you know, where her career has taken her. Reggae John Page, I haven't seen Bridgerton, so I haven't really seen this guy outside of SNL. He was okay on SNL. Do I think he's part of the new A-list? I mean, if you consider Dungeons and Dragons and fucking The Saint to be a projects worthy of A-listers, uh, sure, but... No, I, I just feel like this is like putting a guy on a list like this, you know, to get in good with his reps so that you get exclusives on him going forward. And, you know, because he's he brings big traffic like Jamie Dornan, you know, like was Jamie Dornan on the A-list after fucking Fifty Shades of Grey? I, I don't think so. Um, now, that was three movies. Reggae just did this for one season on, on, on a Netflix show. So, like, maybe people don't have like just look at him and think like Christian Grey or whatever the fuck his role was on Bridgerton. But like. I don't know. The jury's still out there. Anthony Ramos, I didn't see in the Heights still. Don't worry, I will catch up with it before FYC starts back up again. Hopefully that'll be soon. But uh, Anthony Ramos, um, yeah, I, I get that vibe. I think he's I think he's a wildly talented cat, and uh, I like that choice. Florence Pugh, that seems like a, a gimme. Yeah, everybody wants to be working with her right now after Black Widow and uh, Midsommar and just like fighting with my family she just has a really fascinating range like Lady Macbeth like she can kind of do anything and then Jonathan Majors um, and uh, I don't know if I'd go quite so far as, as A-list we're going to see what he makes of these opportunities right whether it's like you know Creed 3 or the Netflix movie Hard Do They Fall like he was good in in um, The Five Bloods I, I, I don't know if I'm just like ready to call him an A-lister yet like uh, yeah, like I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I wonder if like, like, do you think like Keith Stanfield is bigger than him? Uh, I, I don't know, but I, I, I kind of prefer Keith. Just at the moment, I know Jonathan Major has a lot of stuff coming out and going on. Uh, okay, so like circling back to like you know putting out false reports and things like that some of these reports are, aren't always false. Sometimes you're working with, with old information or sometimes information changes. And that's sort of what happened on the case of Bullet Train. So in November, 2020, I reported that uh, Lady Gaga was about to sign on to, to join Brad Pitt in this movie. Like she was, she was near a deal, final talks, all that. Uh, Sony never confirmed that story, but I'm not a reporter who does whatever studios tell them. Like I had a, you know, a good source who I trusted saying they're, they're working on this. And that's, that's a story. That's news. Sorry. Um, so, you know, a few months go by, you know, obviously COVID is still touch and go. Um, you know, the, the pandemic wreaks havoc on, on all these Hollywood schedules. And in the end, you know, uh, Sandra Bullock signs on to Bullet Train in an undisclosed role in like mid-February. Um, and then I think in March... Lady Gaga started shooting House of Gucci. So like, I don't know, Bullet Train is an ensemble movie. It has a zillion fucking characters. There's a bunch of surprises. They're, they've already gender swapped Joey King's character, right? So like, you know, I don't know whether Lady Gaga and Sandra Bullock were up for the same role or if Lady Gaga's like a, doing a cameo thing. Like, I have no idea. Um, and, you know, all I know is that her casting had remained unconfirmed and, you know, the other trades did not, mention her uh, on the cast list, but there was still some question as far as I was concerned, as far as readers were concerned. I was like, I've gotten questions about it and I've heard, I've seen other sites sort of pick up uh, Lady Gaga being in bullet train. So, you know, the, the movie test screen this week, um, we did talk to someone who, who, who saw it and everything, but even without that, I I'd heard beforehand that, uh, that Sandra Bullock did, in fact, replace Lady Gaga. Now, we can debate the semantics all day, you know, if Lady Gaga never was in the movie to start, you know, if her deal didn't close, then how could she be replaced? I mean, listen, she, she was going to be in the movie. She was working on a deal to be in the movie. It just didn't happen, whether it's they couldn't, re, you know, reach an agreement 
or you know a scheduling conflict which is what you know i believe it was with, with gucci and everything because she was prepping uh, for that role at the time but like you know we're, we're, it's a semantics debate sandra bullock no matter what anyone tells you no matter what david leach tells you no matter what sony tells you the junket in six months sandra bullock was not the first choice for this role okay it's late it's lady gaga so yeah sandra bullock replaced lady gaga that's what ended up happening uh, they're not playing separate characters. So I just felt like, you know, I didn't label it exclusive or anything today. It's just a, a journalistic duty. Like, okay, we got this. I wouldn't say wrong because it was correct when we posted it, right? She was in talks when we posted that story. But you want to correct the own record rather than let someone else do it for you or beat you to it. So yeah, of course we were running a story clarifying things and correcting record the record. That's what a, a good reporter does. You know, but I'm not surprised Sony did n- never once basically came to me and like said, can you take that out or stop referencing that? Because if I was Sony, I'd be delighted to, to let the public think that Lady Gaga's in our Brad Pitt movie. Like, why, why wouldn't you do that? So it was, it was actually a smart non-PR play. Like, there's just no, there's no upside to, to doing anything there. Um, but rather than just like letting me have egg on my face, if I hadn't actually reported this today, you know, six months from now, I would have had egg on my face. Anyways, uh, Jacob Batalon doing a sci-fi series called Fat Vampire. I didn't read really much about this it's a sci-fi show. The chances of me watching it are absolutely zero. But I like the idea of a fat vampire. That would have been a fun comedy. You know, like, why didn't Universal or Paramount or Warner Brothers put that in development with Jack Black or something like that? Why is this a fucking sci-fi show starring Jacob Adelon? You know, you, you got to think about this stuff. I, I I do like that. Fat vampire. I mean, how, how much blood do you have to drink to, to, to get fat on it? Um, Andre Brower starring as uh, New York Times executive editor Dean Paquette in She Said, which is about the Harvey Weinstein case. There's another charge dropped against Weinstein today. Don't be fooled by, by these drop charges, which are all about statue of limitations uh, running out and shit like that. This guy's fucking guilty as sin. Um, and so this movie's all about, you know, the reporters and the editing team who brought him down. Dean Paquette uh, has, has been atop the New York Times for a long time. He was the guy who got to hit publish uh, and, and actually put the, the story online, thereby bringing about Harvey's downfall. And listen, Andre Brower, one of the top 10 actors in, in TV history, as far as I'm concerned, okay? Uh, Frank Pambleton, that's just one of the greatest cops ever on TV. And that's half of television's fucking cop shows. So I don't really see how you can make a list like that and not include him. Um, I, I just think he's a tremendous actor. He's fucking great in everything, whether it's Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Men of a Certain Age, my favorite movie of his. He doesn't get nearly enough work on the big screen uh, but I, oh, I'll always love him in Primal Fear. Uh, John Lithgow joining Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. I don't know if he's ever worked with Scorsese before. I don't think he's actually been in a Scorsese-directed movie. I, don't, I didn't even know if he'd worked with De Niro before, which seems like impossible since they must have come up around the same time and whatnot. Maybe they were just going up against each other. Maybe they're just totally two totally different types. But uh, they worked together on New Year's Eve. So it's a, it's a New Year's Eve reunion for John Lithgow. And Robert De Niro and uh, John Lithgow is going to be playing like a, a, I believe it's like the prosecutor. He's going to be playing a lawyer. I mean, you know, he's good at that shit. He just uh, did it in Perry Mason, right? Um, we're getting a Dark City TV series. Alex Proya said is, is in the works. He's developing it now. He's going back to revisit that movie and see what worked about it and what didn't work about it. You know, Ebert called this, it was Ebert's favorite film of 1998. I had super high expectations for it because uh, The Crow is, is one of my favorite films. I think Alex Proyas is, is like an unheralded genius who is sort of like, gets he gets stuck with some shit material. He was close to, to making a really interesting Paradise Lost movie with Bradley Cooper, uh, and it just proved to be way too expensive. But um, I'm, I'm totally open to a Dark City TV series. That could be fascinating. I could see that being on Amazon for sure. That seems like it's sort of up there, their alley with the, the elevated sci-fi that they're into. Um, and I hope that it, it, it you know, works for Alex Price because I'd like to see him sort of get back in, in Hollywood's good graces, if you will. A bunch of like date type of stuff. Tick, Tick, Boom is going to open the AFI Fest this year. That's uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's movie starring Andrew Garfield as Rent creator Jonathan Larson. Uh, surprised that this did not play at the New York Film Festival. Um, maybe it's just not that great. Uh, I don't know if Lin-Manuel Miranda is a great movie director. You know, it's a different thing than writing uh, musicals and stuff. 
Um, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, uh, like Andrew Garfield is a, a really, really interesting actor. And I do like the rest of the cast for this. Um, so I'm, I'm going to check that out. Uh, Finch, the Tom Hanks sci-fi movie from Miguel Sapochnik moving from August to November. I was waiting for this release to drop because, you know, Finch was still on the calendar yesterday for, for release next week. And there hasn't even been a trailer. So I knew it was just a matter of time. I just didn't know if that movie would get pushed into 2022 or not. Uh, but yeah, that'll come out in November. I know you did last summer. The Amazon TV series is going to come out in mid-October. It looks like the exact same thing as the fucking movie, uh, just with, you know, younger people. Um, I hope that this show goes in a different direction or distinguishes itself somehow. I don't know if the killer is going to be killing like people with a hook again, or if that's just like, that's what the killer and I know you did last summer does, or if it's like, now nah, let's just take the whole, there's a car accident. Someone knows what someone did last summer. We can give them a different weapon this time. I, I don't know, you know, all that kind of shit. Uh, the cast, though, eh, not, not terribly impressive. But, you know, I'm comparing that, and, and maybe that's not fair to them. But, like, yeah, you're, you're walking into Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Phillippe, Freddie Prinze Jr. Like, that's a fucking good cast. That's a really good cast. So... Uh, I don't know, big shoes to fill. I'm not sure that this series is going to ultimately fill those shoes, but I'll, I'm totally down to check it out. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar and they're going in theaters in September. The movie, you know, kind of got fucked out of a uh, theatrical run last year, whenever the fuck it came out earlier this year, finally going to place a few theaters in September. I don't know who's, who's going to check it out since everybody who wants to see that has probably already seen it on VOD, but maybe there'll be some sing-along screenings and Maybe it'll just be a Delta, a Delta party. Home Sweet Home Alone coming to Disney Plus November 12th. Not sure about that title. I mean, I guess, I don't know what else you call it. You can't call it Home Alone. That's sacred. You can't call it Home Alone 4 or whatever the fuck it would be now. Home Sweet Home Alone. I don't know. I'd like a little bit more creativity, a little bit more originality. It feels a little lazy, but... Am I going to watch this? Of course I am. Uh, not just because I love like that kid from Jojo Rabbit or whatever, but um, Home Alone's like a perfect movie. Uh, yeah, how can you not be curious to see what Disney Plus did with this? Uh, the Powderpuff Girls. Powderpuff Girls lost Chloe Bennett. Maybe she read the script. Uh, I've heard the script is just insane and wild and not in a great way. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to watch the show. Do not care. Venom 2. Let There Be Carnage, three weeks from when we thought the carnage would start. Movie got pushed from uh, September to mid-October, where it's now opening against Halloween Kills and The Last Duel. It'll be very interesting to see what happens there, because Venom 2 and Halloween Kills, there's definitely some crossover. Now, Venom did way better than I ever would have thought, number one. Uh, and But so did Halloween. And you don't want to fuck with horror fans because horror fans are loyal. And if you make them choose between a new Michael Myers movie and a new Venom movie, I think they're going to choose Michael Myers. And Venom 2, even though it did, you know, very much outperform Halloween, you know, particularly internationally, I'm sure. Um, yeah, that, that could be an issue. And, and but maybe they know something that we don't. Maybe Halloween Kills is on is on the move to to you know two weeks back to closer to Halloween. I don't know. Uh, haven't I haven't heard anything like that. Maybe the last duel is getting bumped, so there's not quite as much competition. Um, but yeah, let's just say the release calendar is not set in stone. If if I'm telling you right now, if Venom Two can move at the end of September, there's no reason Dune can't move on October first. Uh, Despicable Me scribe Cinco Paul doing Winter Wonderland, a stop-motion animated movie with Imagine. Good for him. Uh, and then a quick RIP. RIP to Greenblatt's Deli. I've had a few, quite a few meals there. And also the Pickwick Bowl and Gardens, which I did not uh, realize I passed, uh, is going to be closing. I passed by it last week. Um, I went to some epic, epic uh, Happy Madison parties there. Adam Sandler would always throw like a big holiday party um i don't know if it was more around halloween or more around christmas time but like you know it was in the october to, to december range um and it was they were awesome i mean i loved going to that party. it's my favorite part of the year really being able to take a guest um seeing adam and his elements like you know there, there was a stage with like his favorite favorite artist would play and i'm not talking they weren't always like the biggest artists uh but they were you know people who adam loved 
and he'd get on stage with them and perform. Uh, there was an ice skating rink there, there you know, uh, karaoke. They had these chocolate, you know, fondue fountains and stuff. It was just always a special night um, being there with everybody. Uh, and I'm going to miss making more of those memories at, at, at Pickwick Gardens uh, and eating some delicious, you know, deli food at, uh, at Greenblatt's. All right, we're getting into the trailers, the reviews, and the mailbag portion of the show. Let me just check the news really quick. Um, Disney is paying the NHL $350 million for a stake in a streaming tech platform. Interesting. And Bob Chapek, yeah, defending that Black Widow release amid all the ScarJo drama, blah, 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 blah. Um, Okay. Let's do reviews first, since there aren't many of them. Uh, The truth is, I've been uh, enjoying some fun in the sun this week and I've not really been watching uh, too many movies. I've been doing a lot of television. I watched Nine Perfect Strangers. I watched some some episodes from American Rust, the upcoming Showtime series with Jeff Daniels. I watched some more of Ted Lasso season two and and Dave, uh, love the season finale of of Dave. Um, So yeah, not really a lot to talk about. Um, You know, I missed the Don't Breathe 2 screening. This week, I still haven't seen Free Guy, but uh, IMAX hooked it up with some some tickets for that one because I said in my, I wrote up the, the IMAX poster for that one and mentioned that I hadn't seen it because I'd missed all the screening opportunities. They hooked it up with some tickets. So I'm going to check that out this weekend. Uh, I may I may even check out Don't Breathe 2 tonight. Um, and, I, and I know next week, I think I'm seeing Shang-Chi and The Card Counter very soon. I'm, I'm very excited for The Card Counter, but I can't say it enough. So that, this is the weekend, guys. This is what you've been waiting for. You want to talk about good movies? Coda, Coda, Coda. Three words. Apple TV Plus, okay? Watch Coda. Try not to watch it alone. Watch it with a family member. Watch it with your loved ones. Watch it with people of all ages because this is a fantastic family film and a crowd pleaser, and I can't say enough about it. It is my favorite movie of the year. Okay, trailers. We got five today. Five trailers to talk about. Uh, Let's start with American Crime Story impeachment or impeachment american crime story um not sure i'm buying clive owen as bill clinton that was a a weird kind of makeup job didn't really look the part uh but i'm not gonna get too hung hung up on that i mean cuba gooding jr didn't look like fucking oj simpson right and it didn't stop that show from being incredible Uh, i do think american crime story is probably the best thing on television like you know that's gone more than one season uh you look at the people versus O.J. Simpson. You look at the assassination of Gianni Versace, which you know people think of as a Versace show. To me, it's just the, the fucking Andrew Cunanan show. Darren Chris was like amazing in that. Um, so like these people know what they're fucking doing. And uh, impeachment, you know, is a story I you know we're all familiar with. Obviously, I kind of like that about these shows. Um, I mean, I think Beanie looks really good as Monica Lewinsky. Like, I'm looking forward to learning some shit that I didn't really know about in the mid-90s when I was 12 or 13 and, you know, wasn't sure about stains on dresses and, and, and that kind of shit. Um, but I love the trailer that they cut. It looks fantastic. Uh, I cannot wait for these screeners to appear in my FX account. Um, we'll stick with TV. Uh, Midnight Mass, Netflix released a trailer for its new Mike Flanagan show. I, I got, like, a Needful Things vibe about this. Like, you know, there are miracles that, you know, this new priest or preacher or whatever, he, maybe he, he's capable of miracles, but these miracles come at a cost. Uh, I haven't, I never watched the haunting shows. I think I did one episode of Hill House. I didn't watch Bly Manor. I'm not the biggest Mike Flanagan guy, although I really did like Hush. I, I definitely have a lot of respect for that movie. Um, this does look a little bit more at my alley than a traditional like haunted house story. And uh, yeah, I think I will give this the, the benefit of the doubt. Um, provided that my my viewing schedule is not too crazy at that point uh and then a, a bunch of movies let's go with the biggest one is crime macho i thought it looked good you know uh, people got some some racial overtones about that like this is another clint eastwood like angry at, at mexicans or something kind of thing it's just not how i approach things i don't look for that um in everything that i see and I, I did just didn't really see it here. I, what I saw, though, definitely reminded me of The Marksman, which is Liam Neeson, you know, having to protect a young Mexican boy. And that movie was directed by fucking Robert Lorenz, who used to be Clint Eastwood's producing partner. So, like, I wonder if this is a story that they'd sort of talked about for a while. And Robert Lorenz saw the opportunity to go and do it with Liam Neeson first. And then Clint Eastwood's like, no, I'm going to, you know, because uh, I'm sure this book and the script has, have probably been around for a long fucking time. I, I bet he dug it out of a drawer. 
Uh, it, it puts Clint back on, on uh, horseback. I mean, this could be a stealth uh, Oscar contender. People, you know, sort of wrote off Grant, Grant Reno and the mule. Maybe that those didn't have the stuff to go all the way. But I don't know. Cry Macho, I think, looks interesting. Worth uh, from, from Netflix. Netflix rescued that after it, like, it, it really did not get picked up for like a year after its Sundance debut. It's a tough subject, subject matter. It's about 9-11 and Ken Feinberg, the attorney who had to decide how much everyone's life was worth and how much to compensate each family who lost someone during 9-11. I mean, that, that's an unimaginable burden I wouldn't wish on anyone. And I'm kind of fascinated to see how that movie plays out. Because um, I, I heard mostly good things about it. But, it, you know, I, I'm just curious whether that's an awards contender or, you know, it's, it, it's tough. It's going to be a tough sit. And I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm ready for that one. I'm going to have to be in the right mood. And then lastly, Wild Indian got a great trailer today. I don't think the movie's great. I think the movie's good. I don't think the movie's great. It wasn't whole entirely satisfying, but the trailer was fantastic. Michael Gray Eyes is, it's one of the creepiest performances of the year. Like seriously, he, he is quietly terrifying. Um, and just like the whole cat, like, uh, I don't know if it's Chasky Spencer or Chase Spencer. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name, uh, but it, you know, the guy from the Twilight movies, um, and he was really good too. I, I saw, you know, this at virtual Sundance this year and Vertical acquired it. Um, I think it's going to be in select theaters and on VOD, um, you know, in, in September, I want to say, or October. I just wrote up the trailer and I'm already blanking, but uh, check that trailer out because it, rem it reminded me of American Psycho in a way. Like it, it is chilling kind of stuff in, in, in a lot of ways. All right, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up with some mailbag questions. I got about five, 10 minutes left in the show because I, I didn't want this to go the full hour. Um, Keltrick Pickens says, hey, Jeff, my question is, is about the long lasting impact the pandemic has had on the shift of movie watching habits. I was talking to a bunch of my coworkers asking if they plan to go back to theaters anytime soon. They also, they have no issues waiting for movies to hit iTunes and Voodoo so they can rent for $5.99. Do you think the studios themselves have come to accept the fact that some folks just won't return at all? And are you seeing the same type of response in your life? Thanks and have a great day. Keltrick, I think you're, you're probably right. I mean, that, that, that's just um, the unfortunate thing of it is that Hollywood is making so many movies and the public cannot keep up with them, right? So they're, they're discovering movies three, four months after they hit theaters because yeah, there's, there's so much stuff that they can just watch at home. They don't need to go to the theater. So they're just operating on a different timetable on just a totally different calendar. I mean, what, you know, don't imagine the release calendar is like tied to theaters, but just like a VOD calendar. And that's your new calendar. That's your new reality. And you can absolutely live in that bubble it really doesn't uh, change anything. Um, so I, I do think that, and I do think studios, I've been waiting for studios to come to that, you know, to, to have that come to Jesus moment and that moment of acceptance where like, yeah, man, this did change things forever. Um, and people just aren't, you, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And I, I, I may, you know, Warner Brothers may find that next year. Like one, once it's out there and people have been conditioned to consume entertainment a certain way, it's very tough to go backwards. Um, you know, they, they need to figure out some sort of happy medium, like at the iTunes music step. We're like, okay, we can't obviously allow people to continue downloading songs for free, but we also have to come to the, the, the idea that like no one's going to be going to Newberry Comics or Sam Goody and, and buying $18 albums anymore. They just want one or two songs. And, and that's what, you know, the streaming services like Apple Music or Spotify allow you to do for a subscription price. And that may be what it is. You pay Warner Brothers a subscription and you get to see whatever movies it, it releases that year. I, I, I don't know the answer. I'm, uh, you know, someone smarter than me needs to figure it out, but they need to figure it out soon because I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Derek Walker has, has three questions. He goes, I was wondering if you've seen Don't Breathe 2. I really enjoyed the first film, but part two comes out tomorrow and the review burger hasn't been lifted yet which me, leads me to believe the movie's horrible and the studio has zero faith behind it. You know, initially I heard that things that weren't so encouraging about Don't Breathe Through, but the, lately the reviews that I've heard is that it rips. So I kind of want to see it for myself. I really did like that first film. I thought it was like perverted. I, th I think it came from the mind of a pervert, um, which I don't often say, but can say as a fellow pervert. And um I mean, it's a big shift to have to make in Don't Breathe too. They may just be trying to like, you know, preserve the surprises because I do think, you know, horror fans do tend to go to the, those Thursday night showings. 
Um, so I, you know, I don't, you never know really what's always behind the embargo lifting. Uh, you'd think if it, if they really did think that they had something good on their hands, that they would lift the embargo earlier. But a lot of times studios don't know what they have on their hands. They think that they have something great and it sucks. And they think they have something that sucks and it's great. So like, like I say on, on the insider.blogspot.com, I quote William Goldman, who said, nobody, nobody knows anything. Okay. If they knew it'd be a, it'd be a, a real fucking easy industry. Uh, Derek also asked, do you think Warner Brothers will be able to repair their relationship with director Christopher Nolan? Do you see him going elsewhere? Um, I do see him going elsewhere. Yeah, I, I, I just, why? You know, if you can get more money somewhere else and more creative freedom and more eyeballs, why, why wouldn't you? Why, why just, why is he so tied to Warner Brothers when the people he, who brought him there are no longer there? Yeah, I, I do see him going, going elsewhere. Um, and finally, do you think Shia LaBeouf will get another chance in Hollywood? Do you think he might be, have used up all of his chances? Uh, here's the, here's the sad fact. And, and may, people may throw this at me. Okay. They may say the same thing about me. If you're talented, you get unlimited chances. I, I don't know that you run out of chances. Um, unless you do something that's just unforgivable and heinous, you know, and, and Shia LaBeouf has obviously done, you know, he, he's had a wild life himself. He's done things I'm sure he's not proud of. Um, I, I don't have the, the list in front of me to recount it. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, I, I think people can be good and bad at the same time. I think he does a lot of good. Uh, you know, he has that company with, with that, like the theater company with Bobby Soto for like underprivileged kids and in, in like, you know, South Central LA or something. But, um, you know, uh, I'm sure Shia is prone to, you know, he probably has issues of temperament, you know, so, so do I at times. Um, and he 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 is paying the price like you know because he had he had such a great year between honey boy and, and uh you know peanut butter falcon and then pieces of a woman getting cast in that and then you know every everything that happened happened and you know his big comeback kind of just like went away he was going to be in olivia wilde's movie he got replaced by like harry fucking styles so he may be in that penalty box a while longer but you know as we saw, saw with kevin spacey and shit like that like these people still get offers um, and if you're talented, someone somewhere will want to work with you. And, and that someone in this case is Abel Ferrara, who, you know, is controversial himself um, and is certainly outside the Hollywood establishment. And, and he wants Shia to play a, a, an Italian saint named Padre Pio, because when you think Italian saint, you think Shia LaBeouf. I mean, you can't write this shit. You can't make this shit up. Um, you know, whether Shia will actually do that movie, I have no idea. Maybe he wants to just get back to work. Maybe he'll hold out for something a little bit better and, and higher profile. I think he's a really fa fabulously talented guy, a troubled guy. Uh, and I hope that he, he gets the help that he needs because uh, I would love to see him back on, on the big screen or, or wherever that may be. His art is just uh, interesting. Um, all right, that will do it for this episode of the Snyder Cut. This is episode 96. My goodness, what should we do for episode 100? Let's just hope I get there, folks. Thank you for watching. Stay safe out there. Have a great weekend. Uh, and, and welcome back to, to the, the lovely homeowner. Um, guys, take care. I'll see you. Bye.